Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by Visa. We all have things we like to think about. Online fraud shouldn't be one of them. Because with every purchase, Visa prevents, detects, and resolves online fraud. Safe, secure, Visa. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. It's Josh and Chuck here, Josh Clark and Charles Bryant, just a couple of staff writers uh, at HowStuffWorks.com. That's all we are. That is it, Chuck. Um, Chuck, I imagine you're familiar with Darfur, right? Yeah, I am. I keep up with, with the news. Have you have you have you heard about the uh, basically the peace agreement falling apart lately? Yeah, I think you should tell people though. Okay. Well, um, basically, uh, in 2006, the the Sudanese government um, had a peace accord established with this lone uh, rebel faction, and there's a multitude of rebel factions fighting each other and the Sudanese government right now in in Sudan, um, and uh, basically. One rebel group, the uh, Sudanese Liberation Movement, stepped forward and said, you know what, we'll come up with a ceasefire, let's come up with an accord, um, or a power-sharing agreement, that kind of thing. And everything was going pretty well until apparently the Sudanese army bombed uh, some villages that are under uh, SLM control. Right. This happened like yesterday, basically. Um, so now all of a sudden the uh, SLM leader is accusing the president of uh, Sudan of uh, even further war crimes. Uh, the president, al-Bashir, I think is his last name, he is basically about to be indicted by The Hague. And um, he's in big big trouble. Crimes against humanity, war crimes, the whole shebang. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like things are falling apart as if they couldn't get any worse. Right. It's pretty heavy stuff. But did you know that um, that one of the reasons why the conflict in Sudan, it's taken like 200,000 lives so far, started in 2003, um, it was in large part started over access to um, drinking water. Right. It's, and that's not unusual. You know, safe drinking or clean drinking water in third world countries and around the world is getting more obsolete and it's kind of a problem it, it definitely is uh as i understand it 1.2 billion people don't have access to um clean drinking water right that's like 20 percent of the world population i know and sadly i think six thousand children every year die because they don't have access to safe drinking water and that's mm-hmm. that's a very startling statistic yeah and there's plenty of them i mean we could sit here and rattle them off basically all of what they add up to is that we're running out of water and we're beginning to see the effects of that. Um, Africa seems to be kind of the, uh, at the cutting edge of all things horrible for some reason. Right. Um, and right now it looks like what we're seeing in Africa as far as water goes is what the developing world's going to see in 20 or 50 or 100 years. Um, largely because we don't value water. It's cheap. Right. It's cheap and people, uh, Use it like it's uh, like it's free. Yeah, I mean, I think it takes like twelve gallons to sustain a human being every day. Right, twelve gallons of water, and that includes everything. Right, bathing and uh, drinking water and uh, yes, cooking, toilet and, cooking, the whole the whole shebang. Right. Um. So you've got twelve gallons that you need to stay alive. Right. <clears throat> um. Americans use, I think, hundred and fifty-eight gallons a day on average. Right. Every, every single one of us on average uses that much. In true American spirit, it's uh, we don't treat it uh, with much respect right now. No. So I mean, what 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 will happen if if we start to run out of water there, Chuck? Or what happens when we in the developing world, I should say, run out of water? Well, uh, there could potentially be you know wars fought over water. I know that uh, 
the the World Bank vice president at one point said that the next wars uh, in the next century will be fought over water. Yeah, he said that in like 1995, and we only had to wait like eight years, three years into the 21st century when uh, Darfur breaks out. Right. It was the first war fought over water in like 4,500 years. The last one was among Mesopotamians, I think. Right. So, and what happened to them? Exactly. It's a cautionary tale if I've ever heard one. Right. I think part of the problem is that water is, uh, you know, a lot of times the countries and even states share borders with bodies of water. Mm-hmm. So it's not the kind of thing you can really claim ownership of. So, you know, here in uh, Georgia, we had a, a situation recently where we had, uh, well, we're still in a drought, but we mm-hmm. had a situation with Alabama and Florida and I think Tennessee even where we're kind of all battling for the same water. Well, we drew Tennessee into it by suing to have the Georgia border go into the middle of the Tennessee River all of a sudden, rather than at the banks. Right. Based on on an old survey that they said was incorrect from the 1800s. Yeah. And it was, you know, no one really cared much until now, and now we kind of need that water, but... Uh, it's it's not a problem when there's neighboring states and everyone's good friends. We're trying to work it out uh, diplomatically. Yeah, there's no war crimes going on yet. No, but it can be a problem in in developing nations where you know they're not exactly the best of friends. Right, exactly. And, and it's a little more dire of a circumstance, and right. so you can't have wars break out over water. Well, even even beyond wars, I mean, there's a there's a pretty um, I imagine a, a predictable model of what will begin to happen when you start to run out of water. The first thing. Um, that would go would be crops, right? Because, I mean, right. we, we need food in much less supply than we need water. But, you know, water's the, the basic essential ingredient of everything. We need we can go like two days without water, but like eight weeks without food, right? Yeah, about 60 days you can live without food as long as you have water, but three to five days without water and it's dehydration and death. Right. And um, ironically, though, we need water to raise that food. So even if we have drinking water, we're still going to need food eventually. So you run out of water, you run out of food. If you run out of food, right, all of a sudden the farmers who were, you know, once raising these crops and livestock uh, still need money to survive. They right. still need money to get by and to be able to purchase whatever food's available, right? Right. Uh, so they start moving to the cities. Exactly. And then the city experiences this big population boom that strains the infrastructure. Right, the sewer system. It, and, for, uh, it, which eventually is broken and becomes polluted, which takes out even more of the water supply. Right. So it really is a trickle-down effect, and it's excuse the pun there, but it affects everything all the way on down, and, and it's wide-reaching. Yeah. So basically, this is a, kind of the nightmare scenario that we're facing, um, and one of the things that I questioned when I was looking into this for this article, exactly what happens if we run out of water, um, was, okay, well, we've got climate change going on, right? Now, clearly, there's some climate skeptics. Right. Also, uh, a, an article on HowStuffWorks.com. But um, for the most part, most people can see quite clearly that, you know, some 18,000-year-old glaciers around the world that have sustained humans for as long as humans have lived near them are suddenly losing 60% of their mass in, like, the last 20 years, right? Right. So why don't we just drink all that? Well, it sounds like a good idea to me. It is. The problem is, is we rely on these glaciers, which support billions of people in like Asia, um, South America, Central America. Um, they rely on them for their drinking supply to kind of, uh, melt in a predictable rate each year and then be replenished by snow. Right. Well, if it's too warm to support like a snow peak or a glacier any longer, it's not being replenished. It becomes part of the rain cycle and eventually becomes salinated water. Right. 
we have water, water everywhere, right? Exactly. Uh, so most of the Earth's water is either ocean or locked in ice right now for the time being. It'll eventually be mostly ocean, right? Right, which we can't drink. We can't, or can we? Well, I know that if you drink plain salt water, it'll dehydrate you even more, but I think you might be talking about removing the salt from the water. Yeah, desalination. Right. And that's actually in in progress right now. There's some desalination plants around the world that are that are providing fresh water from salt water, but it's like super, super expensive technology right now. Yeah, that's one of the problems. I know another one of the cool ideas that they're working on, um, bioengineers are trying to produce uh, crops that uh, need less water or that can live through artificial irrigation, which I know a lot of uh, people against this think it's kind of creepy to eat this bioengineered food. Right. But um, it might be a good solution. If it'll save us water, I think everybody will just kind of, you know, get on board. Their tongue. Exactly, right. right. And, you know, um, agriculture as it stands is uh, basically one of the biggest users, actually the biggest user of water. I think it uses 70% of the global water consumption goes to agriculture. Right. The problem is, is our irrigation technology is just so terrible. We lose like 42% of that water. Yeah, it's, it's gone. Not, it's not a very efficient system, it which isn't. is, that's the big problem. That would definitely help as well. In addition to creating those hybridized crops, that kind of thing. Yeah. I know drip irrigation is, uh, I think, uh, 90% effective yeah, or efficient? It's the wave of the future, in my opinion. I think you're right. So, Chuck, do you know anything about carrying capacities? Uh, I, I know a little bit, but I think you might be the man <laughs> in this realm. Well, I did study anthropology at dear old University of Georgia, and that's where I first learned about it. Carrying capacity is basically the um, total number of people that any, any kind of um, – Anything can sustain, especially with food, water, that kind of thing, right. before we overtax uh, the, the planet to the limit. So we used to run around as hunter-gatherers, right? Some of us still do. <laughs> right? That's true. But for the at one time, all of us did. And we're, that can sustain like 20 million people. Then all of a sudden, we come up with agriculture 10, 12,000 years ago. And all of a sudden, we can sustain 12 billion people with that, right? Right. That switch from... Hunter, hunter, hunting and gathering to agriculture uh, gives some people hope that technology is going to be able to stay ahead of this curve and that we will never actually reach the carrying capacity. We'll have moved on to something else and, you know, the day will be saved and we will create statues for scientists. Right. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, me too, Chuck, because the alternative is kind of kind of scary. Yeah, and thirsty. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to drink my uh, out-of-date Fresca and Really enjoy it for once. Um, thanks, Chuck. If you want to learn more about water and exactly what will happen uh, if we run out of it, type in exactly what happens if we run out of water on HowStuffWorks.com. And stick around for Chuck's recipe for a water-free breakfast smoothie right after this. It's good. Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by Visa. We all have things to think about, like, say, what's the best site to buy a new leather jacket? or whether to buy the 3 or 6 megapixel camera. But thankfully, we don't need to think about online fraud, because for every purchase you make, Visa keeps an eye out for fraud, with real-time fraud monitoring, and by making sure you're not liable for any unauthorized purchases. How's that for peace of mind? Safe, secure, Visa. So, Chuck, give up your secret. Tell us this uh, great recipe. It's really good, Josh, and good for you. Good. Uh, what I do is I prep ahead of time and make them kind of throughout the week. So I'll get a bunch of strawberries and some uh, raspberries and blueberries. Mm. 
and I'll uh, chop them all. Well, I'll chop up the strawberries and I'll freeze it. And that's one of the keys that everything's got to be frozen. I hadn't heard that one before. Oh yeah, it's good. That's that, why my smoothies are terrible, I guess. Right. Well, it keeps you from having to add ice with if all the fruit is frozen. So you put all that in a blender or a food processor with a banana, and then you add some orange juice. And then you add the secret ingredient is vanilla protein powder, Ooh, yes. which you get at your health uh, health food store. I can eat that stuff dry right out of the canister. I know it's good. So you blend that all up; it gets nice and thick, and you've got a delicious breakfast smoothie on your hands. That's fantastic, Chuck. Now uh, you can find all sorts of great recipes, not necessarily Chuck's water-free breakfast smoothie recipe, but uh, some other really great ones on the Food Channel on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?